Well, 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 happy new year. There you go. There's one person that's excited about the, the new year, Roberto. Man, you know, uh, how good was that music? How fun was that? Gosh. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we, it's, it's not easy to find somebody to lead worship on January 1st. And uh, eesh, I, was, I was thinking, I guess I'll stand up on stage and we'll do some hymns or something, a cappella. And, uh, and Aaron Bartlett uh, made himself available, and I'm so thankful he did, man. Just great job. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, Kennedy and Chelsea playing together. That was a lot of fun. Well, my name's Michael, and uh, one of the pastors here at North Village Church. And uh, we're, we're going through an, a new series called Yearly Rhythms, right? It's, it's the first day of the year. And, man, what a great opportunity for us to kick off 2023, uh, talking about yearly rhythms and things that are, that are most important uh, for us in lives. And, 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 and the reason we, we do this series, we do it every year. We're probably six, seven years into doing this uh, be, because we have a world around us that's constantly telling us what's most important. All right. We, the news is giving us the new headline of the day saying this is the new fire, you know, chaos in life that you need to pay attention to. Friends at school are telling us what's most important, the new shoes, the new clothes, the new songs. Right, our, our, our parents are telling us what's most important. Our, our past is telling us what's most important. There's all these things that are telling us what's, what's most important. And, and the, the benefit of the yearly rhythm is to, is to kind of central uh, our eyes, center our eyes on the things that are, that are the most important and then build our lives around those things. Uh, and so that's why we do this every year. And, 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 and I, I give credit to our yearly rhythms uh, to, to really helping us as a church family navigate the, the pandemic. Um, it was during the pandemic that we saw a lot of churches just involved in infighting, tearing each other apart, uh, distancing uh, themselves from, from one another. And, and it's because we're getting swept up in, in the chaos of our day. But it's our, it's our yearly rhythms. It's those anchors in life that help us to navigate those storms. It doesn't mean we won't feel the storms. We absolutely feel the storms, but it helps us to, to weather those storms uh, a, a little bit better. And so um, what we've done is we've, we've navigated, uh, uh, we've identified what we uh, think are the, these four areas uh, that are the, the most important for us to visit every year. That's our financial planning. Um, we have a, a visitor from our neighborhood uh, this morning in Kids Village. He's 11 years old, and he said, so y'all are going to give us money today? I'm like, no, we're not giving you money, uh, but we're going to talk about money. And he's like, then we got to give you money? And I'm like, no, you're not giving me money. It's just we're going to talk about money, and that's what we're going to do today. And, uh, and then uh, next Sunday, we'll talk about relationships, anywhere from our uh, immediate family uh, to our church family to strangers to neighbors. Uh, Third is uh, celebrations, the importance of celebrating in life, uh, that life is hard, and it's uh, identifying key things that we can celebrate uh, throughout the year. And then on the 21st of January, that's where we have uh, these QR codes. We want you to, uh, to register for the 21st where you're, you're really on your own, and you're, you're thinking through these areas, putting pen to paper to help set us up for uh, success, and then the last one of the series is uh, just wisdom. 
right? It's, it's, it's the reminder that we can't hang on to our plans uh, with a closed hand, uh, that we have to hold our, our plans with an open hand. It takes wisdom uh, to be able to, to do that. And so these are the anchors that we've identified as a church family. I'm sure there's other anchors that you could, you could uh, build into your yearly rhythms, but these are some of the ones that we've seen as, as the most most important. And, and the goal really behind these next four Sundays is to help us kick off the year hearing from the Lord. I mean, that's my desire as a, as a pastor, is that, is that our church family would be a people who hear from the Lord, uh, from his wor- through his word, through our relationships with one another, uh, through, through our time on, on, on Sunday mornings, that the Lord is speaking to us and that we're responding and we're obeying him. Because if you hear from me, you're going to forget what I say by the time you get to lunch, right? Uh, if you get emotionally moved by a movie or a song, right, sometimes movies and songs will speak to us, but we'll forget about that by the time we get to the next season or the next album or the next movie, right? But when you hear from the Lord, like, I want this for my children, I want this for our church family, that we would be a people that hear, that hear the Lord speaking to us uh, so that we follow him. So that's the benefit of our series called Yearly Rhythms. Uh, it's not about our church family. Sometimes this is confusing for people. Uh, it's not about build and belong, although we'll, we'll touch on that. So we're not planning for our church. This is for individual. It's for family units. It's really not tied to New Year's resolutions. Sometimes that gets confusing, right, because we're so used to, like, well, I'm going to run a mile, and I'm going to stop eating sugar, and I'm going to work out, like stuff that, you know, we don't do, and, and so it's, it's not tied to New Year's resolutions. It's, it's tied to, to anchors, you know, foundational markers, kind of guardrails uh, for our lives that we establish, and they, they guide us through the, uh, the ups and downs of life, and we don't want to just talk about it. We want to put pen to paper, and that's why January 21st is, is so important. Uh, these, for these things to, app, you know, practically become a part of our lives, we we have to be intentional uh, for that to happen. So this morning we're going to talk about money. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You can turn to uh, your devotional uh, or you can open up the Bible. Uh, please don't just uh, rely on the, on the screen. We want you to dig into uh, God's word. Um, what I've been doing uh, for the last couple of years is uh, taking our messages on Sunday and breaking them into three points. Uh, to give us a chance to follow. Because of the pandemic, it was harder to focus. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not do that uh, going forward and, and just really get us back to just studying God's Word. Uh, and, and so you might have to come up with those three points on your, on your own if that, if that helps you. Uh, but we really want to just study uh, God's Word. So let's read verses 1 and 2. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So 2 Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. He writes 1 and 2 Corinthians. We're going to get into 1 Corinthians in February. Uh, He does this on his uh, missionary journeys. He uh, visits uh, different cities. So this is on his second missionary journey. So you can see him uh, going through Asia up into Macedonia. So you saw that in, in 
What is that? Verse 1, it says the churches in Macedonia. These are the churches. You have Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinthians. And so those churches up in, that, in, in Greece, he's going to reference these churches as, a, as an encouragement to the church in, in Corinth. Uh, right? That, uh, uh, that he... The Corinthian church is an exciting church, right? We'll see this in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's essentially rebuke after rebuke after rebuke uh, because the Corinthians are getting drunk off communion. They're having sex with their mother-in-law. That'll get you excited. Welcome to 2023, right? They're taking each other to court. And so 1 Corinthians is a correction. And in 2 Corinthians is an encouragement to persevere, uh, to persevere through suffering, to persevere in and, and following Jesus, and then to encourage the Corinthians, he's referencing the churches of Macedonia. Do you see that? And he writes to them. He says in verse 2, he says, talks about the grace to the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Right? So that phrase, great ordeal of affliction, Right? In the original language, that word affliction means trouble. Great ordeal of affliction. They're, they're going through hardship. Right? They're going through global pandemics. They're going through financial loss. They're going through you know, kids that are driving the parents crazy. They're, they're going through court you know, dates with the judge because their life's being turned upside down. Like They're going through a great ordeal of affliction, and yet... That word liberality, it means generous. That somehow in the midst of the great ordeal of affliction, they've had this abundance of joy and an overflowing wealth of liberality. Did you see that? They're overflowing in their generosity. I mean, think about that. I don't know how you naturally respond to hardships in your day, but my natural input, my, my, my fleshly response is to pull back. Is to hunker down, is to is to preserve. Like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be this is gonna be really difficult. And so I got I gotta pull on my own resources. But somehow these Macedonian churches, these are real people, these are real men and women in Christ, navigating the challenges of their day, they're still able to to live lives of generosity. Generosity with money, generosity with their relationships, generosity with their emotions, generosity with their time generosity with their resources. There's a wealth of liberality. This is such a challenge for us. Like, I, I just think it's so easy to think to ourselves, like, well, when I get to an easy part of life, then I'll be generous. Right? When I get lots of money, that's when I'll be generous. When my kids move out and it's all quiet, that's when I'll be generous. When my career settles down and everything gets stable, that's when I'll be generous. But right now, I got to hunker down. Right now, I got to power through. And that's not what we see in the Macedonian church. Somehow, they've been able to navigate this, this life of generosity, even though they're going through a difficult season. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, For I, this is the Apostle Paul, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. All right, these guys are starting to get annoying. Look at that. 
For I testify that according to their ability, that, that phrase according to their ability in the original language, it implies intentionality. According to their ability implies some type of planning to their lives. Uh, that, that they're not just kind of going through life responsive, that they're intentional. They have a budget, that they've put pen to paper. Uh, not only a budget for their money, but a budget for their time, a budget for their lives, a budget for their resources, that they're, they're thinking through intentionally, what has the Lord blessed me with, and how can those things be used uh, for his glory? But, but we see there in, in verse 3 that it's not only according to their ability, but look at that. But it's beyond their ability. That, that, that means they're looking at their budget. They're looking at all those line items. And they're giving beyond their ability. So they're taking some of those line items and they're saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up that line item and that line item and that line item so that I can give beyond my ability. That's the context. That's why he's encouraging the Corinthians. The Corinthians, they're, they're an incredibly blessed church. We'll see that later on. They're overflowing with gifts and resources. And so he's going to the Macedonians. They're, they're, they're the nobodies, really, the nobody churches. And he's saying, look, at they're giving up beyond their ability. Not because they saw, they saw a sad commercial. Not, not, not because there was some Santa Claus with a triangle like, come on, come on, give, come on. You know, not because the pastor got on stage with a thermometer and be like, we're almost there. Let's just a little bit more. Let's keep digging. Not because there was somebody at the, on the way out doing a cookie sale. Like, will you buy my cookie for a quarter for the baby? No, it, it, that's not what. They, there was something happened in them. It, it wasn't out of guilt. It wasn't out of a response. It was intentional that they wanted to be generous. It's because there's a foundational marker in their life. There's an anchor. You see it in verse 4 because it says they're begging for opportunities to give, to be generous. They're urging. How many times have you seen that? Please, please, can I, can I give? Can I sacrifice? That's, what, that's what's going on in the lives of these Macedonians. That's why he's so moved by this Macedonian church. This is why I think the, the 10% model isn't a great tool uh, when, to think about how to give, right? 10% comes from a tithe. Tithe comes from the Old Testament. So oftentimes in, in the church today, we, you know, we, we argue and debate about, you know, 10%. Like, well, is it supposed to be before taxes? Is it after taxes? Like, I just, I don't, like 10%. Like, what if I get a gift from somebody? Does that count? Do I have to give 10% off of that? Like, that's where, <laughs> and that's just, it's meant to be a starting point. Like when you see that in scripture, when it comes to giving, is 10% is just a starting point for us to think about how to give. But in the New Testament, it's not 10%, it's 100%, right? That's what's going on with the, with the Macedonians. They're giving 100% of their lives, that they're begging for opportunities uh, to give. Because if you think about it practically, like if you just took the average, you know, a family of four in Austin making $30,000 a year. And, and, and them thinking to themselves, I'm going to give 10% of my income to the kingdom of God. Like that family of four giving 10% of $30,000, like living in Austin, that's going to hurt. 
I mean, we're talking about roof over the head, like vehicle to drive, like clothes to wear, like making those types of sacrifices that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up. But if you took that same tool and you applied it to somebody making $200,000 a year or $400,000 a year, it's more money, right? I mean, it's, a, it's significantly more money than the family making $30,000 a year, but it's landing on them in a completely different way than the family making $30,000 a year, right? I mean, that, that, that family of 400000 I mean, they're still going to have a roof over their head. They still have, what is that, $360,000 to figure out the cars they drive and the food that they eat. It means instead of going to Hawaii that year, they're going to have to go to, you know, South Carolina, right? Instead of getting the, the deluxe package in their car, they're going to have to get the base model. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. It does matter. It's sacrifice. It's all money for the Lord. But it just lands on a family differently. And so you don't want to be limited by the 10%, right? That, that's not the model that we see in God's word. We see a people that have been so overwhelmed by Jesus' work in their life that they're given the whole of their lives because of what's taken place in their lives. That's why in verse 4 it says they're begging. They're not just wanting to give. Look at verse 4. They're begging for favor of participation in the support of the saints. Do you see that in verse 4? Somehow the Lord has worked in their lives in such a way that they're not seeing their church as their single church or their individual lives, but their individual lives as part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is their church family all over the world. And so the saints, that's every man, woman, and child in Christ. And they're talking about the persecution of the saints in Jerusalem. There's persecution. Jesus says before he ascends into the heavens to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they don't. They all huddle in, in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and, and so persecution comes. Persecution comes to the saints in in Jerusalem, so that they're being scattered. That's Acts chapter 8. And then in then Acts chapter 9, this, this, this horrible person named the Apostle Paul, he comes to faith in Jesus, and he starts taking the gospel on those missionary routes like we saw on that map. He takes it to the Philippians, the Bereans, the Thessalonians, and the, and the Corinthians. And these are the Gentiles. These are the nobodies of the world. He shares the gospel. They come to faith. Churches are started. And now these Macedonians... Well, they're saints. So if the saints in Jerusalem are hurting, then the Macedonians are hurting. And so they're begging for opportunities. They're so in involved in what the kingdom of God is doing around the world. So they're begging for opportunities to give. It's not 10%. It's the whole of their lives. Isn't that amazing? Listen, church family, I, I, our church family is generous. I don't, want, I, I don't want you to miss that. Like, this is not our attempt to try to guilt somebody into feeling bad. Like, th th our, our announcements, we're going to share that in the month of November, our church family gave 30, over $30,000 in the month, in 30 days, the month of November. Like, that's amazing. Look, I mean, there's like six of us here. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Praise God. That's amazing. Like, and there's no, like, benefactor in Rome that's, like, funding this. I'm not, like, financially 
like, I got it all taken care of. Like, our church family provides for me, provides for our church. Like, that is glorious. That's glorious. So there is much generosity in our church family. And at the same time, I still want us to lean in to this verse. Lean into this passage. Because I've been teaching this same passage for the last six or seven years, and I'm more convinced of the passage today than I was the first time I taught it. So at the same time, I want to lean in, lean into the to the passage and for us just to kind of dream about what it looks like in us individually, in us as a church family, to have the Macedonian testimony. That there would be in us a begging for opportunities to give to the kingdom of God. I mean, because think about it like, think about all the presents we got for Christmas. Christmas is so much fun. We love the presents. But how many of those presents are just going to get shoved in a drawer? Some of the teenagers are like, not my presents. No, they will. Like, not all of them, but there's going to be, for all of us, we're going to have presents that get shoved to the back of a closet. For 30 seconds on Christmas Day, we were like, it's amazing. And then, and then we don't even remember why we got it, where, like what happened. And then we move and we have to pack it up and like we have to get a storage unit for all of our stuff. We're like, I don't know what to do with this stuff. I'll put it in storage. And then after a couple of years, we, we donate it or we sell it in a garage sale for like five bucks. And it's just like this fleeting, like, sparkly thing. Now, look, look, our culture, Western culture, United States, like, you guys know this. Advertisers exist to try to get us to buy things that we don't need. And they're sparkly. Teenagers, man, be aware they're after you. They're after us. And, 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 and we can easily give our lives to the sparkly things of this world. I just want us to dream. Like, I've not arrived. I'm not like, say, catch up with me. Like, I also chase after those sparkly things. And I'm asking the Lord to help me to grow in this area to, to, so that the sparkly things become more dull and the kingdom of God becomes more sparkly, and that my affections are just more excited about those types of things. I pray for that in our church family. And I experienced this in Mexico City where we were this summer. We, we, we went to go visit this church. I've shared a little bit about this. We visited this, this church where people, thousands of people have come from all over Mexico, all over South America to worship these artifacts, these religious artifacts. There was a vision that had taken place years ago. And so their thought is, if I can get close to this vision, I can get close to God. And so there's giant crosses, there's giant popes, there's giant uh, Marys, there's little little trinkets that you can buy. And, and, and the idea that thousands, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of people are lined up for a chance just to get close to these trinkets. And my immediate response when I was there, my immediate response was sadness. My immediate response was like, oh, my gosh, this is so sad. They're waiting in line to get close to something that Jesus gives freely. They don't have to chase after those trinkets. He gives his glory freely. I was like, I wanted to just, like, start yelling right then and there. And it's like over the next days and weeks, and the Lord just kept bringing it to my mind. And then one day the Spirit just, like, landed on me. And he said, Michael, do you think you're any different? Do you not think that you have trinkets that you chase after also? And I was like, oh. <laughs> Do you not think if people from a different culture were to come to your culture that they would see it glaringly obvious? 
how you chase after things, how you give your affections to things, how you fully believe that if I could just get that sparkly thing in my life, it'll be so wonder. Michael, don't you know that Jesus has given his righteousness freely, his goodness freely, his glory freely? I'm like, yes, Lord. I need to learn that, and I still need to learn that. And that's the opportunity for us. I got to pray for that in our church family, that we would get a taste of his glory, a taste of his kingdom. It would, be, it would be like the difference between, like, fresh milk and sour milk, right? That we would taste of his good milk. We're like, that's so good. And the sour milk, we're like, why am I giving my life to that? It's sour. Wait, we, I want us to wrestle with that, church family. Like, on an individual level, wrestle. Like, how does that happen? What does the Lord have to do in us to, to be a people that are begging for opportunities to, to invest in his kingdom, as a church family, in our marriages, I think about this for our children. How do you teach children this? To be on guard against chasing after those sparkly things. Won't you wrestle with that uh, with me? This is what we see in the Macedonians. This is how they do it. Verse 5, it says in this, Not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. 2 Corinthians 8, there's affliction, there's joy, there's generosity, there's sacrifice. And the reason these things are taking place in the lives of these Macedonians is because they first gave themselves to the Lord. What does that mean? It's kind of abstract. First, give yourself to the Lord. Would each of you right now think about what that means for you personally, to first give yourselves to the Lord. Not to give ourselves to the sparkly things, not to our friends, not to our comforts, not to the pain in our past, but to give ourselves to the Lord. To commit ourselves to Jesus, we put it on our wall, the vision of our church, that we would chase after Jesus, that Jesus would be at the center of our lives Right, that he would be the decision maker, that he's at the center, that everything's filtered through him. How do we feel about the news? What does Jesus think? How do we feel about sexual identity? What does Jesus think? How do we feel about our marriage? What does Jesus think? Well, what does Jesus think? Well, I got to go to his word. I got to know the Bible. So that's why we study the Bible, because we want to know what does Jesus think what is Jesus teaching us? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He's at the center of our lives. I don't want to use the word Christian. The word Christian is in the news. It's, been, it's a label. It's confusing. It's like, I'm, am I a Christian? I don't know what that even means anymore. But what, I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is at the center of my life. I want to hear from him. I want to follow him. Think about that. They first committed themselves to the Lord. I want to just keep pressing on that because what, the, commit yourself to the Lord, right? In some ways, that's justification, right? That's the first time you meet Jesus. That's confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in your heart that he, ra he rose from the dead. That's justification. The moment you meet him, you could be eight years old, you could be 80 years old. The first time you meet him, he says we're declared righteous, that we're justified, justified, never sinned. We're, we're, we're 
We're his, sons and daughters, the moment it happens, justification. This passage is really talking about to commit yourselves to the Lord is what theologically, biblically is known as sanctification. Right? It's to grow in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Right? What does that look like practically? To follow Jesus. Right? That, that, that when we are justified, that we are purchased. That our lives are no longer our own. That we belong to him. That we've died to ourselves. That we're putting him first. That he's first. That's so much more than a prayer. Right? That's so much more than a prayer. We have to genuinely think about, like, Jesus, what does it look like to put you first in every area of my life? Financially, emotionally, relationally, friendships, past, present, future. That Jesus is first. That's what he's talking about. Our Western culture is so individualistic. Our Western culture, we take it in through movies, we take it in through songs. What do I want? My life. Me, myself, and I. I love myself. Me, 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 me. I love myself. I have my picture on my shelf, right? That's our Western culture to think about ourselves. That's not what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means we die to ourselves and we put him first and we follow him that our life is no longer our own that he's purchased us think about that young people think about that like when you're in Christ your talents are not your talents when you're in Christ your time is not your time when you're in Christ, your salary is not your salary. It's all his. It's all his. Our life is not our own. It, it belongs to him. So Jesus, what do you want to do? We could push back on that. No, no, I worked hard. I did this. I did, you. No, he gave it to you. He gave us those abilities. We didn't knit ourselves together in the womb of our mother. He gave us this life. We wandered from him. He came to claim us. We belong to him now. And so now we live for him. That's what's taking place in the lives of these Macedonians. They're followers of Jesus. Anybody can say a prayer. It's not about saying a prayer. It's about being a follower of Jesus, of putting him first. That's why we need January 21st. You need a Saturday to think about what that means. What does that look like? In every area of your life, especially the financial part of our life. Might we be a people wrestling with that? That we would commit ourselves to the Lord. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, we see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others, the sincerity of your love also. Do you see that? The Corinthian church is so gifted. They have faith. They have knowledge. They have prophecy. They have love. And then verse 7, the apostle Paul writes, see that you abound in this gracious work also. He's pointing them to the Macedonians. He says, you also. He's encouraging them. Jesus is doing great things in you. 
grow in this area also. And the Apostle Paul could command it. He's the Apostle Paul. He's seen the resurrected Jesus. He's been sent out by the resurrected Jesus. He could just write them a letter and say, uh, give. Because I said. Right? He could have. He could have. You're just going to give. But he doesn't want to do that. Do you see that in verse 8? He wants them to want to do that. He says, I'm not speaking this as a command. I could command, but I'm not. I want you to want to do that. Might that be the overflow in every one of us when we think about generosity, that we would want to give? That's the life that we have in Jesus, is to want to obey him. Listen, I haven't done this in every area of my life, but I've definitely experienced it, where, where I've, I've turned from living for myself to living for Jesus. And I can tell you, living for Jesus is better. There's nobody twisting my arm to live for Jesus. It's better. And so I wish I could do it in more areas of my life. I want to grow in those other areas of my life. But those areas where I have is just better. So I'm asking the Lord to work into me to die to those sparkly things, to die to those fleshly desires of living for myself and to trust him and follow him because that we would want to be a generous people. Look at verses 9, 10, and 11. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter. For this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish. So that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. I mean, those are strong words in verse 11. You've talked about it. You've talked about it. Now finish. And he anchors it in verse 9. He anchors it by pointing them to Jesus. I could command you, but look at Jesus. For he who was rich became poor so that you who were poor might become rich. Isn't that good? Isn't that so good? How was he rich? Think about that. Let's just sit in that a little bit. How was he rich? He was, I mean, Jesus is eternal. He's, he's God. He's in heaven. He's in glory. He always is, always was, always will be. He's rich. He's rich in glory, rich in righteousness, rich in relationship with Father and Spirit, and he became poor. That's Christmas. That's the incarnation. That's what we just celebrated. Jesus took on flesh in the form of a servant. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his wealth and his riches to become poor, to draw near to us so that we who are poor, we're sinners, we're dead in our sin, we're bankrupt. We who are poor, through faith in Jesus, might become rich. Do you know that when you're in Christ, you're rich? You're rich. You're rich beyond a financial account. You're rich beyond the size of a house. You're eternally rich. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, you're rich. Like you're overflowing with wealth. You're rich. There's no treasure that you lack. The greatest treasures of, of, of eternity have 
have been given to you in Christ. You've been made rich. So when you walk through the halls at school, you're rich. When you drive down the, the road, when you walk through your neighborhood, when you're at work, you're rich. You're in Christ. You've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're overflowing with rich. You have the righteousness of Christ. We're rich in Christ. When you're in Christ, you're rich. It's the greatest treasure. It's the greatest treasure we could imagine. It's the greatest treasure so that you could pull up to a stoplight and you could see somebody with some, some car, the, the greatest car. And you could be like, it's just a car because I have Christ. That's possible. You can see somebody with a house or go on a vacation or a retirement or a comforts of a size of a bedrooms or whatever, fill in the blank. It'd be like they're just sparkly things that moth and rust destroy because you have Christ. You're rich in Christ. When you're in Christ, you can walk up to the most wealthy person and feel completely comfortable. You're not intimidated at all. They're just a regular person. You're the wealthy person in Christ. You can go to the lowliest of lows because you're in Christ. It's not your riches. It's his riches that's been given to you. So who are you? So you, you'll get on the bended knee to the dirtiest of dirtiest of things because you have Christ. You see the treasure we have in Christ? That's what he's pointing them to, to the Corinthian church. That's what God's word is pointing us to this morning. If you want to see generosity in your life, look to Christ. He's the greatest treasure. Every other treasure we have to sweat for. What is the treasure that you long for? Is it your career? Is it the titles? Is it the office? You have to sweat for that. You have to work for that. You have to climb the ladder for that, and you have to hold on to it. Is it a romantic relationship? You work for it. You sweat for it. Let's talk about it. What is it, dear? What happened? Okay, let's try. You work for it, right? What, what is it? Is it that retirement account that makes you feel so safe and secure until the economy drops and it disappears? You work for it, not Jesus. Jesus is the only treasure that sweats for you. Jesus dies for you. Jesus is the one that holds you. Jesus is the one that's sure, that's stable, that's secure. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. He's the greatest treasure. Might we give our lives to Jesus? With 2023, with that Today, starting the first day, there's going to be ups and downs. Might we place him at the center of our lives? Not do what we feel, not do what's comfortable, not do what's, what's popular, but Jesus, because I'm committed to you. Because if you've never met Jesus, do that this morning. Trust in him. Call on his name. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he conquered death, and then commit your life to him. It's the greatest life. Will you bow your heads?